inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. Is your cow healthy? Not a question most people ask themselves, but if you own a lot of cattle, you think about it every day. If only there were a blood test to measure the strength of your cow's immune systems. Spoiler alert, there is. I'm your host, Richard Miles, and today on Radio Cade, my guest is Trine Huo, a professor at the University of Central Florida and the founder of Nano Discovery. Welcome to the show, Trine. Hi, Richard. Thank you. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. So, Trine, we usually start out each show by asking the inventor or the entrepreneur to explain the actual technology, what it is and what it does. And maybe you've heard the phrase, that person's all hat and no cattle. Well, I don't have a hat or any cattle, so you really have to start with the basics for me. Um, Why don't we start with what kind of diseases do cattle get and, and how do ranchers currently deal with that problem? So basically, um, I would say infectious diseases, the infection by bacterial viruses, parasites, uh, is the biggest problem for the cattle health. And uh, because animals are not like humans, they don't talk. So when they're sick, uh, we don't know. So how do you find out? I mean, by the time you find out uh, one or two calves or cows are dead, you know there's something wrong with your herd. So that's when they find owners started to suspect there's a disease and because they're all all together in the ranch or in the farm so they are basically spread of the diseases very fast so now the couple of things is once they're sick how can you identify them as quick as possible so you can treat the sick ones and prevent the disease to further spread to the other cattle and second thing is just like humans like us and the animal with a better immune health they're going to be more disease resistant so infectious disease basically pretty much any infectious disease has everything to do with immune health and if you have a good immune health you'll be better you'll be more resistant to the disease so really what we uh, are trying to do is to help the farmers to uh, look at the uh, immune activity and also the status of the animal. So say uh, we from the data, we would know, oh yeah, this cattle, this cow, this calf has a better immune system or the other calf currently has an active immune response. So we suspect the calf is sick right now. So this is what we are trying to have a test. Then the next question is how do you actually detect or measure the immune health activity of an animal? Well, you have many ways to do it in a lab, very complicated equipment techniques. But in the farm, in the small uh, veterinary clinics, your choice is, I would say, almost non-existent. Right. They're really, really limited. So that's what our technology, our product comes in. So we have a very simple blood test, which can be done in the farm or in the veterinary small clinics, pretty much any farm, any size. 
You can do it there, and you have a quick test. You have a good idea about the the immune health and the status of the cattle. So, a couple of questions. One,、mm-hmm. I imagine up until now, a lot of farmers will deal with the problem with the use of a lot of antibiotics, right? Yes. So they give the antibiotics and just hope,、yes. okay, just like a, a parent immunizing a child or a sick child, go, okay, hopefully that'll take care of the problem, right? Yes. Once you have a real sick animal, of course, you should use antibiotics right, to right. treat but them. But that's after the cattle's already become sick, right?、Yeah. So in a sense, it's already a yeah. problem. Yeah. But the issue is in a, even a small farm, yeah, small cattle. Ranch, you probably have a hundred, two hundreds, or fifty, or something. The question is. Do you treat them all? You only treat the ones sick. How do you know this one is sick, the other one is not、right. sick? So you don't have to give a、so, hundred cattle antibiotics、yeah. if only three of them are sick. Exactly.、Right? So、yeah. if the farmer feels it's a big threat, they want to give a more aggressive treatment. They probably will treat them all, and then you have a budget issue as well. When saying treatment is expensive as well, and then some farmers say, "Well, I just treat this few for now," but then you realize, "Oh no," and then there are more. Loss, more death. So it's really a difficult, hard situation for them. That's why I say, if you have a simple test and low cost, it has to be low cost. You quickly allow them test, immediately know which you say ten percent, twenty percent, which ones are sick. You only treat those. You don't treat the others. So let's talk about the test itself. So you said it's it's relatively simple. Does a farmer need specialized machinery to do these tests, or is it literally like a veterinarian going out to each cow and jabbing them with a needle and drawing a sample blood, or how does it actually work? Yes, they do need to draw the blood,、mm-hmm. but the drawing blood actually is quite easy because for pretty much even a small operation, they will have a veterinarian. They usually will have one、mm-hmm. to serve them. So if they need them, they call them to draw the blood. Lots of ranches and farmers they have their own technician that could do the. Blood draw as well. So once the blood is drawn, they do a test. Our test actually there's a couple versions. They can send it to our company for the testing, but they can also do it in the ranch, which is using very low cost equipment. It's not really expensive. I see. So the mechanics of drawing the blood is not really a problem. We're not. This is not a, a problem. Costly. And <laughs>、yeah. then if they test it there at the ranch, does this involve a specialized machine that then analyzes the blood and gives them results? Yes. Or is it? Do they still have to send something to a lab somewhere?、No. No, they don't have to.、Okay. We only just say if they don't have the manpower, the technician to do this stuff, they can just send it to us. But they can do it if they have a person there. It doesn't require much training at all. It needs a little bit of equipment, but very small equipment. It's all suitable for the farm testing. And I imagine you don't need any specialized training to interpret the results, right? Does it give you a fairly clear result yes, that a, the, anybody could say, okay, the cow's sick or it has、yeah. this or that condition? The the basic instruction will be all provided to them. Yeah. So again, I'm not a farmer, I'm not an ag expert, but that strikes me as a pretty good idea. And if we learned anything on this show, we know, however, that good ideas don't sell themselves, right? Even the best idea in the world usually has to be marketed, it has to be developed, it has to be produced.、Mm-hmm. Investors have to、uh, provide early financing, that sort of stuff. 
you've been trained as a researcher. You still are a researcher, of yes, course. You're yes, a professor yes. at the University of Central Florida. Yes. But you've also now gotten involved on the business angle in terms of forming a company, yes. uh, looking for customers, doing yes. all those sort of things that you need to do. Tell us a little bit what has that been like, making the transition, or at the same time, I guess, mm-hmm. being both a researcher and owner or co-founder of your own company and developing that and, and all the things that come with that. Richard, that's extremely interesting. Good question. I would say we have been doing this for the last 10 years since we initially developed the platform technology right. itself. And it was quite a long journey. It takes so long, really, to put something in the market. As you know, I studied as a researcher, as a faculty. So our job is to develop a new technology. And once we find one new, we say, oh, we're very excited. We think it can be used for such and such and such. As we initially saw the naturally is for our technology basically is a nanotechnology based approach. So we were using this approach for basically to develop a blood test for human diseases like a cancer, like a infectious disease. So we were working this one for quite a while. And this uh, agriculture animal business it was actually brought to me by other people. They said, well, you are working on human infectious disease cancer, I think there might be a really a big need from agricultural animal industry like a cat or like a sheep, like a goat. That's when I start to learn, you know, I'm like you, I'm not a cattle man, <laughs> you know, so I didn't have much experience there. But then I said, oh, yeah, sure. And we started to work with people from Australia, from the U.S. I started to reach out to doctors, ranch owners. They were extremely interested. So they're actually very, very cooperative. They say, please do come do your study in our operation. And as a matter of fact, we we have actually a number of very close collaborators, the ranch owners, feedlot owners. I can also tell you there's a very big feedlot in Florida we're working with to do our study. So what I want to say is the problem is brought by literally our potential customers. So that makes it a little easier, right. I guess. So you didn't even have to go out and find the problem. The problem yeah, found you. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> the problem find me, and it's much easier, I can tell tell you, sure. anyone we talked about, the ranch owners, yeah. farm owners, when they heard, you have such a, a test, let me know I when see. you're ready. So you don't have to spend a lot of time convincing them that this is a good thing. They yeah. know it's a good thing. Yes, yeah. they don't have the problem. Okay. Yes, yes. Can you tell us about that process of, you're in your lab, as you said, you were working on technology that you thought probably does have an application for humans, but that was the direction you thought the market would respond to. It is a still. It still does. It, it still it, is. It just requires a lot of more investment, the timing. And is that because of the safety issue that before you can start actually doing it, y- the yes. FDA has to get involved? FDA, yeah. even, even to do a study, it's difficult because uh-huh. you have to get the IRB approval. Right. I'm not complaining, but it's a lot of paperwork <laughs> yeah. and you will not start your study anytime soon. So right. we have actually at the university, I have a quite a few projects related to still with a prostate cancer and also infectious disease, but it takes a long time, not like the agriculture animal industry. Right. You can do this faster. faster, yes. And of course, like a lot of universities, the University of Central Florida actually helps its researchers along this path, right? There's a team there, very good team, right, that uh, yes. sort of 
sort of gives you advice on patents and licensing and, and commercialization. Did some of this advice come also from University of Central Florida, like, hey, maybe look at this or look at that? I would say for the research itself, for mm. the technology itself, as the principal scientist, of course, you are the one who will lead the team. But usually you take a lot of suggestions, otherwise, I mean, why do we collaborate? I mean, I'm a chemist. I'm not an MD. I'm not an immunologist. But certainly, I have an open mind that you must listen to your collaborate because you don't know immunology. But then, yes, but your collaborators are. So they tell you, oh, yeah. Yeah, this way, that way, we should do this, we should do that. And eventually, you come up with a nice test, it works. So in terms of technology, because I've been in this research for a long while, so I know how to protect the IP, what ideas can be protected. Mm -hmm. So because I'm a university faculty, so all my IP intellectual property belongs to the university, but the company Nano Discovery licensed the technology. So the university, yes, they have administrative stuff to help us to put the patent together. I have more than like a 10 granted patents now. So after a few, you actually know how to write the right. patent yourself. But then you have the IP lawyer to help you to really make it professional. Yes. So Trine, let's talk now about yourself. Mm -hmm. Your pre-academic version of you, right? Yeah. So you were raised in China on a farm. Yes, So yes, that yes. is an experience that most people in the United States have not had. Yes. So tell us, what was it like growing up in China? I imagine you still have family there. And then as an add-on to that, what were your first impressions of the United States? But let's start first. Oh. What was it like growing up in China on a farm? Yes. And then tell us what it was like coming to the United States, say, for the first time. Yeah. My husband is American. Okay. okay. I often talk to him. I say, I would never imagine when I was young, I would come to U.S. and study, be a doctor. I mean, live in this country, uh, marry an American. So I would never thought about this because I lived in a really poor <laughs> village in China. Before six years old, I was living with my grandparents. So basically, village, grow a rice field. And, what province of China? Hunan province. And that's uh, in the mountains. In the mountains. In okay. the south, in the mountain in the side. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, grew rice, peanuts, and all this. So we didn't have a lot of farm animals because that's not allowed. But you do have your chickens, you know, you have one or two buffalo and things. So I had a great time, of course, because all we do is to play outside, <laughs> <laughs> nothing else to do. And I always loved animals, that's for sure. I uh -huh. have a brother, and it was very clear I was the animal lover, and he, he was, was not. not. <laughs> <laughs> so I took care of the chickens and ducks in the farm. And then when I started to go to school, my parents picked me up because they were busy before. Well, okay. that's why I was staying with my grandparents. It's common in China. And then I started to go to school. Were your parents researchers as well, or scientists? <laughs> My my parents actually were college graduates, which is very unusual in, in, in that the years uh -huh. of China, they graduate college mm -hmm. from 
1960s, I mean, that's so, you you know, the background of right, China. Yes. It's so, so small number of people go yeah. to college. So that was a very were, difficult period in yeah, the 60s difficult and 70s. Time, yeah. yeah, but I always had a good education. I was a good student, do my homework, and I, I always was actually a very good student. But my parents, I'll be honest with you, they never really pay a lot of attention about my <laughs> grades or what did I do. They never really ask, oh, so what's the homework? Have you done yet? I always did it myself anyway. So my parents were scientists, they were agriculture scientists. Really? <laughs> now you've come full circle, right? Yes, their specialty was orange trees. Can orange you believe? Trees. Okay. Yeah. Wow, and orange you're in trees. Florida and in yes. Orlando. They places. took me to orange farms because okay. they, they were the ones who go around teach the farmers how to take care of the orange trees. So it was just a few years ago. Now, my mother passed away three oh, years ago. They both came here visit me. Oh, so I intentionally took them to visit the Lake Wales area. We went to Bob Tower. To the uh, citrus uh, yeah, area, Yeah, right? we went to the wow. citrus area. They were so they happy. Thrilled, yes, yeah. yes. Because uh, for a long time, they changed their job. They, they later became uh, government officials, so they never really do the farm work. But they were very excited. They said, oh, so many orange trees. And I was very happy oh, to, to show them. So did you completed your undergraduate studies in China? In China. And you studied chemistry, or what did you study? Uh, yes, it's chemistry. chemistry. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's chemistry, yes. And so tell us about mm-hmm. coming to the United States. Was it for a, a fellowship or to for do a graduate a, program? For graduate study, because from a universe, I graduate University of Science Technology of mm-hmm. China. They do have a lots of connections with the U.S. So many of my classmates came to U.S. So naturally, said, oh, I'll give it a try as well, because maybe I'll get the PhD degree. It's just natural. Once you're in the chemistry field, you know you have to go to the highest degree point right. if you really want to do well. So I applied a couple of places, and I was actually accepted by University of Miami and the Tulane University. Then I said, oh, yeah, Miami sounds like a really fun city next to the ocean. So I'll go to the University of Miami. So that's how I came to University of Miami. I just remember that many people asked me a question, are you scared of going there by yourself? Uh, this is in people ask Yeah, okay. and then people say, I said, no, I said, what's for? I said, I was never scared. However, though, uh, it was only for like a few seconds after I landed in Miami airport, I said, oh my God, I don't know anyone here. <laughs> so strange place. Did I make a mistake? Should I go? back now and then but a few minutes I said no no let's go and after that I just never thought about the oh yeah what a strange place I immediately kind of like fell in love with the people say Miami is not a typical American right. city well, the joke is it's a great city because it's close to the United States right <laughs> yeah yeah I know but I love the culture uh-huh. in Miami I had a great time in Miami so I never feel like many other students say oh I have a different to adapt. I didn't have a friend. I feel lonely and so on. So I never felt lonely. I take it you already spoke pretty good English before you came? Uh, oh, no. No, no. no. We, so you got in Miami and... Yes. In China, we learned how to read and write. Uh-huh. But really, no one was there to teach us uh, how to speak. And our teacher barely speak anything themselves. <laughs> so we finally hear, oh, no. I said, uh, I really didn't understand uh, too much. But of 
course, I was listening to the radios, tapes, to them, but that was not enough. I guess it's also related to personality. I like to talk to people, and very quickly I picked up my English. I was able to handle my teaching assistant the job actually very well. That's great. So you're in Miami for how long? I did my PhD four and a half years, but I also did my postdoc. Your there. postdoc, okay. Yeah, because I like it there, so I did so, so total seven years. Seven years, and then mm-hmm. uh, eventually you ended up in Orlando. Was it straight from Miami to Orlando? No, or there... <laughs> no, I got my first faculty job in North Dakota State in University. In North Dakota, wow. In Fargo. That's where I met my husband. Well, I was about to ask that, but before <laughs> I, I ask you about North Dakota, I have to say for the record, North Dakota is the only state in the United States I've never been to. So oh you, my. you know, I have to punch in, that ticket at some in point. In terms of that, yeah, I <laughs> wonderful. Sometimes I thought, you know, Miami Fargo is so different. Yeah, yeah. I guess when I was at that stage, you know, for me is it doesn't matter where it has a job, present the job, I should take it. You know, I don't really have many choices, so I took it there. I like the Fargo in many ways, but uh, very soon I do notice difference. November, October. Yeah, right. As soon as you step off the plane, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm (laughs) I'm not in Miami anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. They made a lot of joke about me, you know, from Miami. You're you're probably one of the few people that voluntarily moved from Miami to Fargo. Yeah, yeah, uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's where you met your husband. Is your husband also a scientist as well? He's a mathematician. He's a mathematical professor. Yes. As a matter of fact, he was in the math department. I was in the parliament coding department in North Dakota. And then when we moved to UCF, that was 2005. So he became the faculty in math department and now become faculty in the chemistry department. Great story. Let me close with a couple more questions. You've had the unique experience of you were raised in China, you have Chinese relatives, you know that system very well. And at the same time, you are increasingly knowledgeable about the United States and the American system. What is the one thing you wish Americans knew about China? And then what is the one thing you wish Chinese knew about the United States? Oh, that's such a great question. I know know there are probably many things, but if you could narrow it down. You you know what I was thinking about maybe after I retire, I would write a book to find a book or something to talk about this Mm -hmm. two aspect, particularly knowing the difference. And and I have to say, one of the reasons I ask that question is because Americans, by and large, know European countries and cultures fairly well. The same thing with Latin America. Increasingly, since so many Americans come from Latin America, whether it's Mexico or other countries, they pretty much have a basic understanding. But still to this day, even despite all the trade and everything, for most Americans, China is just an unknown. And I'm guessing that for a lot of Chinese, the United States is still this very strange country. Actually, I personal opinion, I think actually the Chinese people, American people are very much alike. Interesting. Yes, in many ways. They're all hardworking people. They're all capitalists. Yeah, ambitious. They're, or ambitious. Very, they're all like they, make yeah. money. Make money. They, okay. That seems work hard, <laughs> work make, hard money, make money. Right. And then they're all more or less very open-minded people. However, the big gap really here, the misunderstanding, the bridge, is really the each lack of understanding on their history political mm-hmm. system because they did not know each other like the American state. 
they don't know what the Chinese people have gone through, what happened in the past, because past and the present are all connected together. Nothing happens overnight, so they don't see this. So well, that's a very Chinese way of looking at history, right? Yeah, yeah. We're Americans, since we're still such a young country, we tend to undervalue the role of history in our own yeah. development and, and around the world. Yeah, and then the Chinese people, of course, they always that most really admire America. Also. Such a powerful country. I'm talking about the normal Chinese people. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go beyond that. They, they, they always say, "Oh yeah, rich country. American people are seems very friendly, funny." On the other hand, though, the Chinese people, to my opinion, lack of understanding on the Western history mm-hmm. political system. So this is a mutual. Why the Americans right. don't understand Chinese history political too much? And the Chinese people do not understand, appreciate. I mean, American history is not that long. However, it is pretty much inherited from the European history right. and the culture and everything. So the Chinese do not have enough understanding why things are done this way, why the Americans value things in this way, will do this way. So that's the gap where it is. So, Trina, I'm looking forward to after we reach a point where we have nothing but happy, healthy cows stretching from Fargo to Miami. (laughs) You can do a career change. You can become a political scientist and a historian and look at U.S.-Chinese relations. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. This has been fascinating for me, and I hope to have you back at some point. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. It's a real pleasure. I'm Richard Miles. Radio Cade would like to thank the following people for their help and support. Liz Gist of the Cade Museum for coordinating inventor interviews. Bob McPeak of Heartwood Soundstage in downtown Gainesville, Florida for recording, editing, and production of the podcasts and music theme. Tracy Collins for the composition and performance of the Radio Cade theme song featuring violinist Jacob Lawson. And special thanks to the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention located in Gainesville, Florida.